0: Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two 40 something geek dads. I'm Ken Newquist, and I enjoy staying up far too late playing video games, even though I know I shouldn't. And I'm David Moore. It was my birthday, and I'm
1: even more middle aged now. So, uh, what has been, it's been a few weeks between our recordings. Uh, hopefully, our listeners, since we haven't released any yet, uh it will probably not be a few weeks between podcasts but what's been going on since we've talked last ken
0: it has been uh very very adventurous in in my life uh <laughs> my parents had a a little bit of a mini disaster at their house where their hot water heater f- uh broke and flooded one of the levels of their house Oof. and so we've been helping with with cleaning that up right so that was uh, my parents have uh, have long had challenges with water as have my wife and I we like to joke that um, newquist means the water runs through it in Swedish <laughs> which is uh, very apropos and very like I just I, I've had just about water break in every way that you can imagine water breaking so thankfully and and this is like we don't live on a floodplain like we we, we have historically lived on mountains but that has not prevented the water from finding us so I must never Got live it. on the lowlands
1: so you're kind of like the uh, the minor storm god in uh, one of the Hiker's Guide to the Galaxy books where it just constantly rains on him because it loves yes, him.
0: Right. Right. It just I'm, I'm always perpetually just a wee bit soggy. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, we, we've been good for a while. We hadn't had any. Um, well, I shouldn't say that we had a hurricane remnant come through and we lost power and our own basement was in danger of flooding because we lost the sub pump. Um, so we had a whole family get together where, uh, my wife and my two kids and I were bailing out our basement for like four hours, which if Enjoy. you want a great workout folks, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> bailing out your basement. Um, but it hasn't been all water and doom and storms. Uh, I've had some fun stuff that I've been able to do. So I, uh, I backed the twilight 2000 Kickstarter, which this is actually from cool. a couple of weeks ago. And uh, and so this is role playing in the World War Three that never was. And so this this game has a special place in my heart because when I was in middle school, this was probably the first non D&D game that my friends and I played. And so you have to picture this is like 1986, 84, something like that. Hmm. Um, Like Red Dawn has just come out, right? It's one of the first PG-13 movies my friend and I have ever seen the Cold War is at its height, the Soviet Union is a major threat. And so we're playing Twilight 2000. And my wife, one of my good friends in high school and, and middle school was, uh, he was very proud of his Russian heritage. And he just loved the military and all kinds of like, you know, he was the kind of guy who would build military models and, you know, tanks and ships and what have you, right? So he knew it all. Cool. And so we started playing twilight 2000 and then trying to like ragtag group of americans trapped behind enemy lines after world war three breaks out and it's a low grade world war three it's not like full-on thermonuclear war it's like limited nuclear exchange so there's enough radiation that if you get exposed to enough of it it's going to be bad for you Mm -hmm. and it's it was a pretty realistic game a fairly lethal game but it was probably one of my first real world building experiences where you know you're just kind of doing like this sandboxy thing. You're not running a module. We're just we're just doing stuff. Um, heavily mm-hmm. inspired, probably from Red Dawn. Now that I think back on it. Uh, so when they announced this box set, I'm like oh, this this sounds cool. <laughs> New version of the game uh, published by Freedom League. So those are the folks who did uh, who brought you Alien and Tales from the Loop, and I really enjoyed Tales from the Loop as you as did you. Yep. And so I think it's coming out next summer. So this is one of those you know. I paid for it. Now I have to remember that I bought it. Hopefully <laughs> so no it shows up. As as, mo- as a lot of Kickstarters were, you know, yeah. like a, about a year later. Yeah, I mean, they've had, it's, it's not unusual in any way. And and I have faith that they're going to deliver because they've delivered on any number of great products through Kickstarter. Right. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing this box set. Like, it's a true box set. It's going to have maps of both Poland and Sweden. And so uh, given oh. that my, my dad's side of the family is from Sweden, like, i would be cool. Running like a... Uh, a World War three alternative reality game in Sweden. Be I don't interesting. know if I can sell that to my yep. gaming group, but I'd love to try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I, I, I had a friend of mine in college who was really into twilight 2000, uh, but his game was full up. So I didn't have a chance to play, but it's, it always seemed like an interesting game. It always seemed, it also seemed like, uh, like you and I grew up, you know, toward the end of the cold war um and it always seemed a little too close to home sometimes too of like yeah like gamma world was fantasy you know of like what happens if the worst happens here let's try and rebuild things whereas twilight 2000 is kind of like okay things went sideways and now we're just gonna try and survive and maybe get home you know and and so it it in some ways i think it could have been fun uh but in some ways it it might have been like ooh this is this is less a game and more of a like i mean they didn't have they didn't have the moniker preppers but you know it was kind of the idea of you know this is this is what preppers are prepping for sort of thing so yeah it, yeah i've i've always been interested in it it was it was kind of big um you know back then but i hadn't heard about it much um since college so I, I don't know that they released a whole bunch of stuff since
0: then or if i just was not aware of it well apparently this is the fourth edition okay of the game. so i so have not have been, been aware of that. unbeknownst to me i somehow bought it on rpg now i discovered that the drive through rpg i discovered that like a couple weeks ago just was yep. sitting there like oh hey Check this out. That's another <laughs> podcast topic. <laughs> Stuff we bought from Drive Through RPG that we have no idea yep. that we own. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's a future topic. So aside from uh, the you know apocalypse, I went on a twenty-four mile backpacking trip with my son. Uh, twenty-four miles over two days, so about twelve miles each day. Yeah, I think we had talked about that a little bit before we last when we last recorded. Um, but yeah, yes. I hadn't heard heard you obviously survived. We did. It was tough because I think before when last we spoke, I think I was prepping for it, and now mm-hmm. we've actually done it. And right. so I think lessons learned. Um, you know, estimating is hard. Uh, this is always hard for humans. Yeah. But you know, we we looked at the map, we measured it, thought it was going to be about ten miles. Turned out to be practically more like twelve on the ground, right? Mm. And so it was good. I mean, they they made it. The, myself and the scouts and my son all made it through. But I think that the, the, it was good experience to have because there are certain things that you will only learn if you hike a certain distance, right? If you go for right. a five mile hike or, or, or even like a five mile run or whatever, you learn one set of things. But when you go for 10 miles, now there's stuff that starts to fail and problems you start to have that you don't have if you only walk for five miles. Right. And so the, the perfect example of this was my son needed new boots which we didn't know <laughs> right, right. until we were already well into the backpacking trip. Uh-huh. And so although we had gotten our awesome sock liners, which totally worked, I got no blisters. Excellent. He got blisters because his toes kept jamming up against the front of his Ooh. boots. Ouch. Right. Yeah, those are not got uh, blisters at all. Yeah. And then also I realized, like, and this is, again, this is why we're doing all this stuff, is uh, he was carrying too much weight. Like, uh, really, you're supposed to carry, like, 20% of your body weight. And so realistically, he's a he's a a thin kid. So he probably should have been carrying somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 pounds. And he was probably carrying more like 25 pounds. Got it. And all those pounds, all those pounds matter, especially like we made foolish mistakes. Like we got there. There was a backpacking pack he was supposed to carry or there was a backpacking tent that he was supposed to use. Mm -hmm. And he decided he wanted to use one of the troops tents. Cool. We'll swap it out. But in doing so, he added two pounds to his pack. Right. Cause right. they weren't meant and, for backpacking. Right. Well, probably. they are, they're like two person tents. And like, if you were, you know, 17 and weighed like 175 pounds, it wouldn't be a big deal. Right. But my son is not there yet. Got it. Yep. <laughs> and yep. so every pound really matters. And so for me, it wasn't as, as big of a deal. I was probably carrying too much as well. Yeah. So lessons learned, uh, we're going again this coming weekend, it's going to be a shorter backpacking trip. It's going to be like 10 miles over two days. But I get to try out my new sleeping bag. I got a uh, Nemo Forte 20 sleeping bag, which means it's, you can sleep in it down to 20 degrees, but you won't be comfortable. Okay. If, but if it's like, you know, it'll be comfortable at 30, it'll keep you alive at 20. Got it. Okay. Uh, so Which is important. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because <laughs> two years ago, we went um, camping overnight uh, for what's called the Klondike. It's a big thing where all the scouts come together and do winter skills stuff. Yep. And uh, it was zero. Mm. And Zero is cold. That's cold. Yep. <laughs> Zero yep. Is, is no joking cold.
1: <laughs> I remember doing the Klondike when I was in Boy Scouts and we built a, we built a sled, you know, kind of like a dog mm-hmm. sled but pulled by Boy Scouts. Yes. And we had the, the sled race at one point. But it was four inches of snow on the ground when we went
0: camping. So that was that was a cold night. It was cold. Yeah. I mean to give people an idea, we woke up in the morning and the eggs had frozen. Oh, right. Oh, like the oil had frozen. Everything had frozen. Okay. Right. So this is, it was quite the, it was, it was a great learning experience for everybody. Yes. But man, was that cold. And I will tell you, I personally feel the difference in 20 degrees, 20 degrees is you think, oh, that's just 20 degrees. The difference between zero and 20 is significantly different than the difference between say 70 and 90. Yes. Yes. Right. Like zero and 20 feels like. 20 degrees felt like it was a spring day <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> after the sun was up and you're actually like, you know, up and moving again. Right. Yep. So yes, uh, the rating of your sleeping bag is very important. So we shall, we shall see how it goes. This should be the one that I'm hopefully taking to film on when we go next year and we go on this huge 12 day, you know, 60 mile backpacking trip. Um, and I'm hoping it's going to work out because it was the cheaper option. Okay. There's another option that has like it has it has like synthetic liner. Uh the more expensive option, which is like twice the price, is a down liner, but it compacts mm. down more and it's okay. lighter. Got it. But we'll see. That's why we're doing this. Yeah, I remember I remember reading uh back when I
1: was doing more backpacking was like in order to cut the weight down, there were some backpackers that would cut the handle off their toothbrushes to save right. <laughs> like fractions of ounces. You know, and and like all they did that with like all their gear so that they could carry as as little as possible because they did not want to carry all that if they didn't have to.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a big thing, right? Like the more that weight weighs on you, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. it seems kind of obvious. But after you've been going for a while. It, it really starts to, to bear down. So you really yep. want to trim everything that you can. And then the challenge is, or the secret to backpacking is uh, this isn't true for necessarily everything. Because you can, like so you say, cut the handle off your toothbrush. But generally speaking, the lighter gear is more expensive. Yes. Uh, which I actually got a new stove, uh, is, which is another example of it. It's called a whisper light. It's like this tiny little stove. It's really cool. One of my friends who's going on the trip also has one of these things, but it's like igniting a miniature Inferno every time you light it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I saw, I saw him do it the first couple of times. Like, Bill, are you sure that you're doing it correctly? <laughs> so that's what I'm doing this weekend is playing around with the Whisper Light and seeing, you know, okay, let's see if I can do this. It's, it's a little bit terrifying. Just, okay. just a little bit terrifying. Make
1: sure you have a fire extinguisher nearby.
0: Yeah, right. So <laughs> Or at least a good pile of dirt. Okay. Yes. That will be that will be that this uh, this coming weekend. And so, when not backpacking, uh, I've been playing Fire Emblem Fates Birthright, which is one of these <laughs> video games that the title just keeps getting longer and longer. One of my friends at work turned me on to Fire Emblem, and so this is a Japanese style role playing game with a, a kind of like a squad level combat focus. Like you have like an army, but it's really only like thirty people, right? So it's it's more aligned with the squad than a full on massive army. Got it. And so it's got deep story built around combat and relationships. As in previous versions of this, your characters, like when they fight together, they develop or alongside one another, they can develop relationships with one another. And those relationships continue between the combats where they have little dialogues and you can do them things to encourage relationships between them. And then if they get close enough, they have kids. Oh, and then, because of- <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, then there's various hand waviness that allows those kids to join you in the fight. Got it. So in um, the previous iteration of this, gosh, now I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, the previous game, it was a time travel thing. You had traveled backwards in time. And so whenever they had kids, whenever people in your army had kids, their kids were also traveling back in time to join you in the fight. Got it. In, in Fate's Birthright, uh, you're at a pocket dimension whenever you're between fights. So your kids manifest in different pocket dimensions, and then you go and find them, and then they join the fight. Interesting. Jump through however many story hoops you want to get to the point where the kids help and, and join you in the fight. Right. The funny thing about it is, there's like a the way the people who've been playing this for years, as I learned from my friend, do it in, in like a de facto hardcore mode, which is never let anybody die in one of your combats mm, mm-hmm. right and so what that, that practically means because nobody can get resurrected is that if you do a combat and somebody dies you power off your ds kill the game and then come back in again and play it again like right? like play from the beginning or or no just to save some. okay yeah yeah okay from your last save point but some of these combats can take a while right right and, and so they introduced the non hot, like the kinder, gentler Fire Emblem, which, of course, all of the people who've been playing the game forever scoffed at, which is, well, we'll let people die during combat. But then they're back and whole and hardy at the end of the fight. And it's a well, that's got it. Like cheating. OK, <laughs> I don't know why I found myself playing in hardcore mode, but I mean, that sounds a lot more friendly
1: to people who don't have hundreds and hundreds of hours to soak to sink into a, uh,
0: a Japanese role playing game. You know? Yes. And and I don't <laughs> so I don't know why I'm actually playing it this way. I shouldn't be doing it. Um, aside for the fact that it's on my DS and I can take it where I go. And a lot of times like I, this has been my go to game when I go on like long trips. You know, you're flying mm-hmm. to Portland or something from the east coast, you got five hours on a plane, or like one time I took a train to uh, Minnesota. It's a twenty four hour train ride, so I played a heck of a lot of Fire Emblem on that particular trip. Got it. And it takes me years. I mean, the last game took me like three years to complete. So right. Right. not playing cons- consistently. It's one of those games like you pick up, you play it for a bunch. Then you're Put like, I'm down. tired of this. Got it. <laughs> Put it down. <laughs> and, then, and then later, hmm,
1: I haven't played Fire Emblem in a little while. Let's, let's pick it back up again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder where that is. And so then the last thing, which I have not actually had a chance to play, my kids got it, which is Nintendo 3D All-Stars which is Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, and the game they really wanted, which was Super Mario Galaxy, which this is just pure nostalgia for my kids because they started playing this, I think, when my daughter was five and my son was three. Okay. Right, like or maybe like two and a half, something like that, right? So my daughter was really into this game and then they played it for like two years and they would play it together and like they would just sit like, My son would watch my daughter playing it because she's three years older than him. And like, so they have all of these great memories of playing this game together. And now, you know, it's been a while since it came out. It came out in the early 2000s, I guess. Mm -hmm. So now there's this re-release and they're just right back into it. Now, they're not actually playing it together because their schedules don't align, but they were super excited to have it come out. Cool. Cool. I
1: I think I still have my 64 somewhere around here. Actually, I know I do somewhere. Uh, Actually, it's probably in the game room. Uh, cause I had, what was it? Uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And so my girls have played those with the original cartridge and stuff. So, oh, wow. so I don't know that they've ever finished them, but those were some of the ones that I've finished on the 64. So
0: it's, I don't think we've talked about this. My son played Majora's Mask and, um, Majora's, right? Not Majora's, but Majora's, yeah. I never played it. Um, okay. I, I'm still trying to be Ocarina of Time. I'll get there eventually. I'm in the final temple. But um, he went on and he played all of the Zelda games and he played Majora's Mask and he and he played it at a time when he was like seven, maybe. Yeah, there's some really creepy stuff in there. Right. And he's like, this was a messed up. And he's like, at the time, I didn't realize how creepy and weird it was. Uh huh. Right. Like I thought because he was just playing it as a kid. Yeah. And
1: but it was like it's Zelda. It's not supposed to be creepy and weird, but. Majora's mask was the one weird one
0: right and so in retrospect he can now see that
1: <laughs> like the redead which are basically zombies that jump on you and try and eat your head you know right um, it's just yeah it, it's, it's a weird one but yeah it was, it was pretty fun but it was it, yeah it's uh, that's one that parents probably didn't realize that a seven year old
0: may not want to play it by themselves <laughs> And somehow he did. Like, it's funny, yeah. like, you know, in, in retrospect, like we were talking about, I was just reminiscing. And I think we've, we've talked about this before. Like, my kids are uh, 17 and 14. So they're of an age where now they can start having nostalgic things for their aspects of their childhood. But also be able to look through it through uh, like semi-adult eyes and realize, okay, that was kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what have you been up to? Yeah, uh, it's been
1: weird the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think we last talked about it where i was interested in uh aaron and i had a five-year-ish plan to go sailing in the uh caribbean bahamas and once we got if we found we liked it and once we uh got experienced enough maybe do a north atlantic crossing and sail around europe and such so we've been really digging into that um in terms of like watching other people who are doing that basic same sort of thing, the the live aboard sailing. Uh, We've looked at sailboats and we've looked at trawlers, uh, which are kind of like RVs of the sea is the (laughs) way I would put it. But basically we're, we're really more keen on the sailboat type of thing because, you know, low to no emissions. Uh, In fact, we're even thinking about like, if we get a, we're looking, most of the boats that, and people that do this will, Buy an older boat and and then they'll retrofit a bunch of stuff. Um, And one of the things that is expensive to maintain is like the diesel engines that are usually in these things. Um, So there are a a contingent of people that are replacing the the diesel engines with an electric motor. Um, And there are there are some companies out there that actually make electric motors for these things as well depending upon where we buy the, you know, the, the price range of where we fall, we may end up doing that. Like just today, we were watching a, uh, a guy who normally it's a couple, uh, but he was by himself anchoring in a bay during a hurricane. And so showing all the prep that he did and everything like that, Um, like they did it intentionally. There wasn't that like, oops, we got caught out. There's suddenly a hurricane here. Anyone who's, like smart about things knows when hurricane season is and knows to watch the weather and has figured out already where to weather uh, things out. So they picked this bay particularly and, you know, put down anchors and took everything off of it. And it was really interesting to watch, watch that. We've also seen some shipwreck stuff uh, that have happened. So, so we want to go in with eyes open um, and have not been turned off to it yet. So but yeah, so our, our five year plan is still, you know, kids will be in college, maybe sell the house, maybe not sell the house because the kids might be going to a college nearby. So they might just stay here. The idea would be buy an expensive boat, up, upgrade it or, or you know, change out some things that we don't like with things that we do. You know, I've got a decent amount of woodworking skill, so I can I can do a, a decent amount of that and some electronics work, et cetera. I, I'm. I am equally keen to both relax on a boat in the Caribbean or, you know, Bermuda or wherever or, or on a beach or whatever, and yet still be doing woodworking and or electronics projects whenever I feel like it, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> sounds
0: like you'd be able to do both.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, it is very highly likely we'd be able to do both. A friend of mine, uh, Bob, he's kind of already doing it. He, he has a 30 plus year old boat that he is rehabbing um, in uh, Lake Erie or Superior. What's the one next to uh, Ohio? Is it Erie? I think that's Erie. Okay. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's near Cleveland. <laughs> he's near Cleveland. I knew it last week. I forgot this week. Uh, but we he had invited us up to say, like, yeah, if you want to go sailing anytime. And then, of course, COVID hit this year, so we didn't do it. And then I talked to him, and he said, next, next year, you might have to take a plane down to the Caribbean to do that with us. I'm like, that doesn't sound like such a bad thing to do. Um, <laughs> one, we'll see if we like it, um, you know, cause we'll be on a boat about the same size as the one we're looking for. And uh, he'll kind of show us the ropes, a little bit of sailing. We might have him on as a guest. If, we, you know, if this goes on, we'll see. Sounds cool. Yeah. it It looks pretty cool. I did talk about wood shop stuff. So, uh, I did I did, have been able to work in the workshop more. I really like the new layout that I've finally been able to uh, do now that all the drywall and stuff is up. Built uh built a new floor lamp. Um we had some old telescopes that had some some wooden tripod legs that look pretty cool, but the telescopes weren't really good and we have a much nicer telescope. So, I took the I took the the mountings of it, the the tripod part, and I turned them into some floor lamps. Uh, They they look pretty nice. Uh, We use them around. One's up in the game room and one is uh, in Aaron's office. So that was fun to do. Uh, And then I got a lathe for my birthday. So thanks to Aaron. Um, So I'll be turning pens and bowls and maybe wooden lightsabers. We'll see, who knows. It's a wood lathe, it's not a metal lathe metal lathes are more expensive and I wanted a wood lathe to start with at the very least it's 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 a good sized lathe a friend of mine recommended uh this particular style lathe because he he works on lathes a lot when and that was his research of it and so I've got a pen kit prepared but uh have yet to have a chance to actually you you know actually turn on it yet uh with the, the pen kit uh I've turned a couple of things just for practice so that's yet another new woodworking hobby of mine. So, I collect hobbies. I don't I'd let them I don't often let them go, which is kind of a problem for me. Only a couple more things. Uh there's more but I can't remember all of it. So, uh I probably could go through my bullet journal and actually look at it <laughs> cuz I would have written it down there. Um but uh one, two th- two things uh, I did was I listened to The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin and the, oh my gosh, amazing narrator, Robin Miles. It was hard to get into like chapter one, two-ish, but once I got past that, it was really, really good. So N.K. Jemisin, she's a Hugo-winning author, and this book itself is uh, set in New York. It's very trippy. Um, to start with. And so it was hard for me to get into at the beginning. And I had that problem with another book of hers. So now that I know, now that I've actually listened to this one, I may go back and and read the other one. But it was basically the idea that there are avatars of cities that embody the city. And so uh, she also takes that and kind of takes the Cthulhu mythos and turns it on its head a bit, where there's this Cthulhu-type entity who takes the form of this lady in white that is basically trying to take over the city uh, or take over this part of reality and so the city and the reason why is because the city is being born sort of thing it's it's becoming an entity not just a place and so there's the main avatar and then there's an avatar for each borough in the city and the main avatar is injured in the very beginning, in that first chapter or two, and then so the these other boroughs, you know, these other people become avatars, and they suddenly get all this information, and then they have to find each other, they have to decide if they like each other, uh, they have to battle this woman in white and her minions, uh, all all while trying to find the main avatar of New York. And I don't want to say a whole lot more about it, other than that it's it's really good. Uh, I really like it. I really recommend the audiobook. Normally, I wouldn't recommend an audiobook over like reading the book uh, in print, but Robin Miles is an amazing narrator and does you know voices for all the characters and and really gives it a good sense of, of of place and urgency where it's needed. So it's it's really good. The other book, and I didn't write it down here, the that I did just finish was it's peace talks battleground uh dresden files battleground which came out uh like the day after my birthday and i read it in like i started reading it that night and then finished it in the morning the next day it was it was a really good book uh i had been left a little eh after peace talks which was the one right before it and battleground really tells me that peace grounds and battle and Peace Talks and Battlegrounds were one book, but it was too long. So the publisher asked to split it up or something like that because Peace Talks felt incomplete. And then after reading Battleground, it felt like one complete story, one complete gotcha. chapter in, in Dresden's life. It's got a lot of highs and a lot of lows. It is a giant roller coaster ride. You, you have to read Peace Talks first because it's the kind of the setup. But uh, Battleground is a really, really good book.
0: Yeah, at some point I need to get back to Dresden. I read the first book because I was going to do a fiasco themed, or sorry, a uh, Dresden Files Files themed fiasco game. And I'm like, I can't go into this game without having any idea what's going on in the Dresden Files. I think we talked about this briefly before. Yeah, Dresden Files would fit very well with
1: fiasco, honestly.
0: Yeah, it did. It did. (laughs) and I'll I'll second your comment on the the narration. Robin Miles also narrated the 5th season, which yeah. is uh, another one of Jemison's books uh, yes. from her Broken Earth trilogy. So she's a great world builder. I mean I really I really enjoyed the book. Uh, I didn't I was going to I was thinking about reading the sequel this summer but with covid like these are they're really good books but it was really intense and I kind of yeah. just needed some popcorn fiction. Like, I'll come back to this in the fall. (laughs) Yeah. I need to read some like pew pew starships blowing up. Like I I need to just like talk about capers and like (laughs) people off to save the galaxy. And I'll, I'll come back to it. was that it sounds a
1: little bit like, yeah, it sounds a little bit like uh, my experience with Chuck Wendig's uh, Wanderers uh, book, which came out shortly before or right as COVID was hitting. And like, I, I read that book and it's basically about a pandemic that goes haywire around the world and is kind of an apocalypse for the, for humanity. And it's like, I read all that and then the news of COVID starts spreading and I'm like, Oh, this is not good. (laughs) And, and, you know, it's not a real big spoiler, but, uh, or anything, but like the main cause of it of the pandemic in Wanderers is this disease called white mask that comes from bats Oh, geez, little close to home, little (laughs) close to home. Yeah. So so uh, the sequel to Wanderers is coming out next year, this year, something like that. It's going to go on my reading list, but it's probably going to wait a little while before I pick it up because because Chuck Wendig can do some pretty brutal stuff (laughs) in a good way if you're into the fiction. But right now it's hitting a little close to home so uh two more things uh i was listening to uh uh, a podcast i really enjoy it uh on much very much on the gaming front called daydreaming about dragons by judd carlman uh he is one half of the the duo that did sons of cryos way back in the day and i have it listed here by judd carlman and inspiration goat inspiration goat is really just uh some sound effects that Judd puts in of a goat, which actually just might be him making sounds like a goat. But the idea is he gives him inspiration and then talks about like a particular, a particular thing for gaming. And then he also does some feedback shows and other things like that. But basically it's like, what happens? I should have, should have been prepped for this part of it. But like the idea um, that like he doesn't like, like say mystery campaigns. He does not like mystery campaigns because if the players miss the one clue, they can't solve the mystery sort of thing. And I actually, I sent some feedback in talking about Brindlewood Bay about like, Hey, this other game where it's a really creative way to do a mystery where there's a lot less prep time because most mystery games require enormous prep to get it so that, you know, the players don't instantly know who the killer is at the beginning or never figure out who the killer is at the end,
0: you know. Yeah, I mean, my my, we played a Call of Cthulhu game once at uh, at Gen Con, just like after hours, like in our in our hotel room, and they completely missed the one clue that they needed to get. And then, of course, yeah. the world ended because um, it was an important clue.
1: Right, right. And th- and that's one of the things that Judd was talking about in that particular episode. So I recommend it. He's actually looking forward to when we finally release our podcast, uh, listening to it. But yeah, I I recommend that one. It's a good one. And finally, one thing that you uh, that all of our listeners and you have not been hearing is the squeak of my old chair, my old chair. It's still here in my office, but I dare not touch it because it literally fell in half. The chair part (laughs) fell off of the gas shock pedestal part on it. And uh, yeah, it like I can sit it back on there but if you sit in the wrong spot it acts kind of like a like a tipping forward ejector seat sort of thing and will just fall apart again which is really annoying cuz it was like a 400 dollar chair that I bought less than a year and a half ago you would think uh, it would have stood up yeah. to to things more but on the on the plus side though I work remotely but most of the office itself is in St. Louis and I'm in Indianapolis, and they're getting all new chairs and things like that and that's when I found out that Herman Miller Aaron chairs there is a used market for them and they're they're still in very good condition um and so I looked it up and it turns out that there's a there's a place in Indianapolis that sold them uh, I went out there and and took a look and picked one up and even better, my office is paying for it so
0: Wow, very so nice. I
1: have a I have I've sat on them before. Um they're very good chairs. They're usually like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars. Oh wow. And used they're about five hundred. So had I known a year and a half ago that they were only five hundred, I would have gotten one then. Cause it is very comfortable, especially for someone like us who is sitting in a chair all day coding
0: or talking to people. Yeah, so all the squeaking you've heard this episode has been my chair because I forgot to swap it out for one of the folding chairs that doesn't squeak. So I've been sitting here very patiently, like not moving. Say, I've been trying not to move and like muting myself whenever I need to stretch just to avoid the on <laughs> in the background. So <laughs> we're getting there, folks. We're getting there. Yep. Yep. Mine has not fallen apart yet. So perhaps I should get what my wife actually needs a new chair. She's needed one since the beginning of COVID, but
1: yeah, I would look up like, it if, if depending upon your budget, but like I would look up like you can just type in Herman Miller, Aaron chairs used or basically it's office supply places that will sell them. Yeah. So like they'll have a bunch of steel case furniture. They'll have basically everything you would normally see in an office. But, you know, places go out of business, places upgrade, places, you know, move or whatever, and they'll just sell their stuff back. And then these places will will buy all that stuff, take the best pieces and then resell them. Gotcha. I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah, their their main, the place I went to, their main headquarters is like in Wisconsin or Minnesota or Grand Rapids. Yes, uh, in Michigan. And they've got like 300 plus there. Oh, wow. But they'll, so that basically it's like we normally stock about four of them. But then when we run low, we just order more. And it's got almost all the bells and whistles that like you would normally pay through the nose for. Uh, it doesn't have the headrest, but I don't need that. But it does have the lumbar right. support, which normally <laughs> is like fifty to a hundred dollars more. Oh wow! So yeah, that's that's pretty nice to to do. But uh, that's it for me. You have something for our main topic, though.
0: I do, and this is this is a uh, it, well. It's going to be an interesting main topic, right? Yeah. So We are forty-something gamers, uh, and so I will tell you my tale of woe as a forty-something gamer prior to COVID. I'm I'm typically the game master for my group. And so in real world gaming or meeting in my gaming room, uh, you know, I'll I'll be standing there. I've got my notes in front of me and what have you. and, And over the last couple of years, there's a phenomenon that has been occurring where I can't actually read my notes anymore or read the rule books or what have you without putting on reading glasses. And then this gets kind of obnoxious because then every time you go to look up at your friends gathered around the table, you can't, they're all blurry, right? Because I don't really have really strong reading glasses, but it's also a factor of You look up and if you try and stare at people in the distance with reading glasses, like to me, I get a little nauseous. Like it's just, it messes with my head. Got it. And so what you do, you constantly take the glasses on and off, right? I don't really need glasses for di- for vision. I do if I'm driving like long distances, but for the most part, my distance vision has actually gotten slightly better as I've gotten older because that's how that works. But my up close vision has not been great, and my phone, uh, you know, <laughs> I I bumped up the font. <laughs> my watch, I haven't quite bumped up the, the the font on my on my Apple Watch yet, but I was getting close. I'm like, you know what, the time has come to get progressive lenses. And this mm-hmm. was inspired because my son needed new glasses because over the summer, uh, his cousin <clears throat> uh, accidentally broke his. And so they've been taped together for like the last four months. So he needed new glasses. So we went <laughs> right. and got new glasses. And if I'm going to go, I might as well just like actually get them. So I got my first pair of progressive lenses, which are supposed to help with all of this, but you already have progressive lenses. So I'm just speaking to the guy who actually can tell <laughs> me how they work. Yeah. <laughs> um, how they've worked for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was
1: both, happy and disappointed uh because i went in i was like okay i think i need bifocals uh because i you know looking up at up close things was was very difficult i had reading glasses but i was also starting to notice that you know like my my distance vision was a little blurrier than normal for years i had an astigmatism um and that seems to have changed which i didn't think was a thing that happened but human bodies being human bodies who knows But uh, I ended up getting like if I didn't get progressives, I would have
0: trifocals. So I guess we should actually explain what the heck we're talking about. Right. So traditional bifocals, you've got like a piece of glass on the bottom, which one prescription and a piece of glass on top, which is a different prescription. Yeah. Right. Or it's ground that way. Right. I guess in the olden days, they were actually two physical separate pieces of glass. Right.
1: Yeah. And and they're and it's visible. Like you can tell the difference between the top and the bottom are two different prescriptions and progressive lenses basically blurs that line so that you don't see like you as the people person wearing them don't have that abrupt shift but also the people looking at you just see basically one prescription you and i as we were talking about before we started is we have the basically the trifocal version of those (laughs) which is at the bottom of the the glasses uh you normally you kind of like look down just a little bit to to read a book. So the very bottom of the glasses is uh, the reading, and then the the middle of the glasses is kind of like a computer length away, so three four feet away, uh, good monitor direction, and then uh, the top of the glasses is distance vision. So you kind of where the glasses sit on your face, just kind of you raise your eyes up a little bit, and then you can drive with them basically. Right. Yeah, I was warned that I might feel weird uh, or or uncomfortable when I first started, and I don't know. It it just felt natural to me. You know, one I used to wear reading glasses, and I would have to take them off and put them on, and take them off and put them on, and just not having to do that. You know, any any uncomfortableness that I'm I either shoved it to the back of my mind or just didn't even feel it because it just felt a lot better to have the glasses on all the time. And I guess my eyes look in the appropriate places, you know, when I'm reading, when I'm looking at the computer, when I'm driving that I don't, I don't have, I didn't have to adjust my eyes behavior to, gotcha. to work within the progressives.
0: Right, because they talk about, so when I was when I was at the eye doctor and they were telling me about the lenses and, like, getting ready for them, they talk about things like be careful around stairs because you have to figure out how to, like, it's not quite the, your perception is not quite the same.
1: Yeah, if you don't tilt your head down, you're going to look through the reading area, and that might be a little off uh, in terms of, like, how you're going to do it.
0: They also talk, it messes a little bit with your peripheral vision um, because of the way that the glasses are ground to be able to get you the, the trifocally type functionality. And also they just talk like, you know, for some people as you're, uh, and I guess I'll figure out in a couple of weeks, if I'm one of these people, like you got to train your brain to do it. And I haven't been wearing glasses a lot. I don't know if you, if you wore your glasses a lot prior to getting the, your new glasses. Yeah, I did. I did. So for me, it's going to be going from wearing no glasses. Well, just the reading glasses to all the time glasses, which in and of itself is kind of an adjustment. But I'm hoping that means that when once COVID gets to a point where my friends and I can actually start gaming together again, I can solve this problem at the gaming table, I can stop holding my phone like it's it's starting getting a little ridiculous, right? Like, yep. you put the phone out and it's like uh, maybe a little bit further. But now, you know, maybe the font's a little small. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
1: yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I had the same thing like I would I would have the reading glasses and i'd be working at the computer but then i when i read a book it wouldn't quite be in focus so i had i actually had two sets of reading glasses to kind of go between things like if i was right. trying to paint a miniature i'd i'd want like a lot of extra magnification which is effectively the reading glasses but then right. to view the computer i'd i'd have a different set and so that's that i mean that's why they had the you know the the three different air zones the one thing that I have seen that is a negative in today's gaming age uh, with progressives is they really suck for VR. Oh, okay. Because you want to look up and you're looking up, suddenly you're looking up through the distance.
0: Oh, right. And then you right. look down,
1: you're looking down through the reading. So really the only, that middle band is really where everything's focused. Um, so what I actually ended up doing was, middle prescription that I knew I got a pair of reading glasses that I take these progressives off and I put those reading glasses on and then I put the, 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 uh, VR helmet on with it. Um, and that works great. It would be even better if I could adjust the lenses in the VR helmet. So I didn't have to wear glasses at all, but, but the Oculus, uh, Rift S does not, have that ability gotcha. so but yeah it,
0: the the reading glasses help a lot right and they're not actually painting the imagery directly onto your retinas yet so yeah right. it's a few years right <laughs> right right yeah i i mean i
1: i it's been over a year so i need to get another checkup to see if my prescriptions change at all but still really enjoying these so they're much better than when i had them before not as good as when I took the lasers to the eyes when I had LASIKs and didn't need to wear glasses at all. That was awesome. But, uh, that is not something, you know, that the, the normal age changes, uh, are not super correctable with things like Lasik and stuff like that. So, and gotcha. LASIK's expensive. Gotcha. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my other use case is, uh, sitting on the sofa, like doing campaign prep, Mm-hmm. Just, you know, got something on the TV in the background. Right. Like maybe you got John Wick playing or something. And then, you know, you go to look up and it's like, so you're doing the, the looking over the top of yes. the lenses thing. Right. Like, yep. which, you know, so one of my friends on Twitter had said, you know, oh, so how does that make you feel? Right. Like, you know, basically asking if does it make you feel old? I'm like, well, no, I mean. I guess it kind of it's kind of annoying, right? And that like things have changed. I kind of felt the same way in high school when I had to get my first prescription for distance when I like had to admit to myself that I couldn't see the, yeah. the board anymore. I mean, is there certainly a getting older piece to this? Um and you can't you can't ignore it because I mean, your vision changes over time, but yeah. it's really just more oh, and well, now I have these new things all yeah. right whatever.
1: I I uh, same as you. Like when I was uh, uh, in elementary school, I had better than twenty twenty vision. And then the astigmatism really kicked in and then I didn't anymore. And that was really annoying. And I just didn't wear my glasses for a long time, but it was mostly distance vision was actually, I don't even remember because I could still read everything. It just wasn't quite clear. You know, there wasn't quite enough clarity. And then, and then when I graduated from college, I really needed to start wearing glasses at that point because I would, i would be i when i first noticed that i really needed them was when i started working and i noticed that i would start about three or four feet away from the monitor like a normal person and then in about an hour i would be about six inches away from the monitor and go huh wonder why my head hurts and i'm six inches away from the monitor maybe i need glasses um and that's yeah the yeah so it's the changing and like going from better than 2020 to needing glasses all the time was really frustrating. This, this just felt like, Oh, okay. We finally got it right now.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I I gotta say the other thing was like, if anything, the whole, I'm getting older uh, thing kicked in when, first of all, the, the index in the freaking D and D players handbook is microscopic. I think I would have had a hard time reading some of the indexes in some of these RPG books when I was 20. Yeah. Because the font is like, oh, well, you know, indexes are cool and all, but we don't want them to take up as much real estate as everything else in the book. Right. But then the real, like, yes, I have a problem and I need to do something about it was when I got the readers, right? Like once you, once you pick yep. up the reading glasses and go, oh, wow, look, yeah, I can actually read the index. I can keep up with the whippersnappers again. Yep. That was the real moment of truth. Right now, it's just like, it's a revision it's to the technology, step. right? Yep. Like, yeah, it's, this is, should hopefully be better as you've described. Yep but we'll see. Yep.
1: We yep. shall see. Although I do have to say fifth edition has a much better, not layout, um, like design than third edition or three, five, because they realized, Hey, putting a fake lined paper look behind all the text makes it really hard to read. Let's
0: not do Indeed that it again. Does. <laughs> Indeed. It does. Even, even without glasses. <laughs> And I will praise WOTC for actually including a legitimate index in all of the the, the core rule books for 5th for edition, because the 4th yep. edition Player's Handbook index was like, I don't know, a half a page, or maybe a page? <laughs> oh, it was obnoxious. Oh. It was just enough not to be helpful. It's like three or four pages, I think, is the index in the the new Player's
1: Handbook. Yes, so the new
0: one is a respectable index. It's just a wee bit small for me to be able to see. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting the new glasses. I'll report out once they actually show up. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Grand adventures. Maybe I can bump down the, the font size on my Kindle now. <laughs> probably.
1: Probably. The one thing I always notice is I need to turn on the backlight on my Kindle. So that's, that I'm helps sorry, what you
0: need, what on your Kindle
1: to turn on the backlight. Oh, to help me too. read it. Font size. I did bump up a little bit, but, uh, but the backlight is usually what, what really helps because otherwise it just all seems a little bit gray. Right. Right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh if you have any feedback, we definitely love feedback. We still don't have an email at the time of this recording, but if you visit layerofsecrets.com, uh there will be some probably an email there uh and some sort of feedback. So if you've got some topic ideas or you have your own thoughts on what we've talked about, please let us know. Thanks everybody.